The reading today comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 through 13. We're having this conversation right now as a church family about discipleship. We're calling it Next Steps, and we're looking at what a mature disciple in Jesus Christ looks like. In our sermons, we're looking at seven attributes of a follower of Jesus. We have defined discipleship as someone that gives absolute allegiance to Jesus and one who is a lifelong follower of Christ. Now, Paul, in this letter to the Philippian Christians, is going to call them to absolute allegiance, and he's going to give some really good reasons why we should have absolute allegiance to Jesus Christ. So as we read through this passage this morning, you're going to hear some things that are just amazing. They're really going to stretch your horizon a little bit. So we have to kind of put our, our thinking caps on this morning, and we got to hear God's word as they would have heard it back in Philippi. So let's look at our reading now, Philippians 2, 5 through 13. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee would bow, in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So let's go back to the top at the very beginning, verse 5. He's saying, have this mind that's in Christ. Here, this is union in Christ's language. If you go back and look at the structure of this sentence, he's saying you have union with Christ, you are in Christ, so therefore the logical thing would be is for you to think like Christ, have to have the mind of Christ. And then he tells us about who Jesus was or who Jesus is. In verse 6, he says, uh, he was in the form of God. Now, in the form of God, we as moderns can hear the passage maybe saying this, that Jesus, in some sense, was a representation of God. But when you look at that, that word form, it comes from a Greek term, morphe. And in that term, morphe, in, in Greek philosophy in particular, that meant to have substantially the same essence of. So you could think, okay, a first century hearer of this message, as they're reading this epistle, and they heard Morphe, uh, they would hear, okay, he is in essence God, fundamentally. And then there's this, this difficult phrase, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So you got to go back and think, okay, the pre-existent son, the pre-existent son, the word, the logos, had always existed uh, for, for all eternity in the past. So there was no beginning for him. Then at some point in, in the history of the world, God became flesh. The Son, the second person of the Trinity, became a human being and was born uh, in the womb of Mary. So for, for this, this glory that he had with the Father for all time, there was this plan that, that he would come into the world, and he chose to do so. That is what Paul is saying. He didn't hold on to that, that station and that glory, but he chose to do this. He chose to come to this, this world. Now, that, that has huge implications when you think about there, there's 
people that object to Christianity today and they say, well, you know, God the Father is horrible. I mean, he's a child abuser. Uh, he, this poor guy, Jesus, his son, he pours all his wrath upon him and how horrible and repugnant that is. There's a deep mystery here within the triune God. There's uh, one God with three persons, and this is very difficult for us to, to wrap our minds around, but the Son came willingly. The Son came willingly. He wanted to come and do this. And, and there was also the suffering of the Father, so it wasn't like the Father didn't suffer through this. Um, this was God deciding to become a human being. Jesus of Nazareth was the pre-incarnate Son. Uh, he empties himself. Now, this is in verse 7, the, the term empty. This comes from a Greek word, uh, echinosin. Echinosin, uh, we get the doctrine of kenosis. Maybe you've heard of kenosis before. Kenosis is this idea that Jesus emptied himself. That, that's not saying he divested himself of godness. You know, some people uh, will simply read through this and go, well, uh, Jesus was God before. He became a human being and he gave up his godness for a while. He hung his godness up on a rack became a human being, and then when he died and he ascended back to heaven, he became God again. That, that's not what the Bible teaches, actually. That's not Orthodox Christian doctrine. Uh, what Paul is saying here is, in verse 8, he is in human form. In other words, there's that word morphe. He's in human in essence, and substantially he's human, but he's also, uh, in essence, substantially he's God. So he's God and human at the same time. That's why the early Christians worked through this and had a term for it uh, called hypostasis, the hypostatic union. Now there's your, your $8 million word for the day. Hypostatic union just means there was a union there. And Jesus, he was 100% God and 100% man. He was not 50% God and 50% man or 70-30. He was 100% God and man. That is, that is what... Paul is telling us here, actually, in this passage as you read through it. But I want you to think for just a minute. He humbled himself, the preexistent Son, in the glory with the Father, in the fellowship of the Spirit, humbles himself, comes to this, this lowly world that we live in, takes on flesh, dies a horrible death. That's what Paul is telling us. He was obedient to this plan, the Son was. There was this plan for all of time that he would come and, and save us from, from our sins, and he was completely obedient. And then he is exalted. Now, this would be good news for the Philippian Christians uh, because, you know, there's this suffering in this life. I mean, let's just be honest. It's difficult to be obedient. It's difficult to, to walk uh, this walk with Jesus. But there's this exaltation. Jesus is exalted because of his humbling, God exalts him to his right hand. Then he says, and this is this is amazing stuff, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, there are people that may knock on your door sometimes uh, from, from different cult groups, and they'll tell you uh, that Jesus Christ is a God, but not the God. He is not Yahweh in the Old Testament. There's this, this passage kind of blows up that notion because Paul is quoting from Isaiah 45, 23. And Yahweh is talking in Isaiah 45, 23, saying that to me, to my name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And now Paul's saying, actually, to Jesus. Jesus is highly exalted back. He, he's gone back into the heavenlies. He's at the right hand of the Father. 
And, and so Jesus is God, and, and because of that, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So when we talk about Jesus being God, we're talking about Jesus is the God, not a God. And there's a big difference. It actually has a lot to do with your salvation, too, that he is the God. Then in verse 12, we get the therefore statement. So there's this transition to application. Because of all these things Paul has said, he said, now listen, you need to obey. You need to obey and you need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So what God has worked in you by grace, what God has put into you by grace, now you work it out. Uh, In our sermon, we'll look at another passage where Paul brings this out in 1 Timothy 4. Uh, where he talks about we need to train ourselves, not try, but train ourselves. He used the word gymnasio in that particular text. We are to work out. And that's not saying that you earn your salvation. It's not what he's saying at all. He clarifies that in the next verse. He's not saying that, hey, if you work hard enough and you put your nose to the grindstone, somehow you're going to save yourself. No, he, he balances it. And, and there's always this balance in Scripture. In verse 13, for it is God who works in you. Who is working in you? God is working in you. So you are cooperating with what, with what God is doing. There's effort on your part where you are making yourself available to spiritual disciplines. You're plugged in a faith community. The Holy Spirit is working through uh, various ways. And I would contend that he's working through the assembly, through the Lord's Supper, through, through all kinds of various means in, in the scripture, which is an encounter with God in prayer, which is an encounter with God. All these ways God is cleaning us up. So we work it out. And the fear and trembling part is your disposition toward God. All he's saying is be totally dependent on God. We hear that fear and trembling. Well, man, I'm, I'm not supposed to be afraid of God. He's saying you need to have the right disposition toward God. You, you, you hold him in reverence and awe, and you are totally dependent on God, and you are amazed at grace. Grace every day is shocking to you that God would love you that much. And your proper response to grace is you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So it's you are working it out, but God is working in you. So we got to hold that tension together. Well, I'm hoping this reading has helped a little bit this morning as you're thinking about obedience in your, your own life and spiritual discipline. And it all goes back to the majesty of Jesus and who he is. And we realize who he is and the grace we've been given then we want to follow him. We want to be discipled. We want to grow. It's our want to. I'm going to go back now and read this uh, one more time before we close out. Philippians 2, 5 through 13. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Well, I hope this this has helped you in your walk. I hope you are uh, encouraged. I hope your your horizons have been broadened as you think about who Jesus is today. And I hope to see you again tomorrow.